It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. As we get closer to Memorial Day and possibly a three-day weekend for everyone, chance to reflect on those who fight our battles and fought and uh, for our country. Uh, that's what this day is about. Also, for America, we need a reprieve. We don't want it okay from just... Joe Biden to have a July 4th cookout. We want a Memorial Day extravaganza, no matter how it is. Get outdoors if you can. Robert Bauer to be joining us. You know, the same guy who found the Titanic. He's got a brand new book out out of all his voyages. It's called Into the Deep, a memoir of the man who found the Titanic, which is going to be great. Well, take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. I want to find out what your plans are, how it's going to be different from a year ago, too. Also, we have uh, breaking news, too, about Hunter Biden. I was not expecting infrastructure, which is going to be announced right now. As we speak, Republicans are unveiling their counteroffer to the president's offer. He's way over uh, budget, $1.7 trillion. He knocked it down to $1.4 trillion. Republicans were at $580 billion. Can you imagine? And now they're coming with their counterproposal right now. Uh, Senator Capito is giving the uh, remarks. We'll bring you some of that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Well, that's a little bit of a problem. Today's New York Post gets a hold of more emails found on that laptop that Hunter Biden doesn't remember if he dropped off or not. And it's going to be written by Miranda Devine. And she wrote a book about it. It's going to be out in September called Laptop from Hell, no doubt. Today, more details. In a New York Post exclusive, they found Hunter Biden brought his father to two separate dinners with shady business partners, one of which is dead, a corrupt Moscow mayor, yeah, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, you guessed it, and $3.4 million wired to his account. His dad on the invitation list, he was sitting vice president. Miranda Devine on that. Number two. Like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right, or use the word wrong verb, or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself. Because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. That's not activism. I agree with Barack Obama, and I rarely say that. Republicans are right, and the moderate left knows that radical leftists are wrong and could cost them and the whole Democratic Party. Yes, wokeism and cancel culture is facing such widespread backlash along the so-called moderate Joe's radical spending He's no longer moderate when you see his programs. Dems are beginning to see a disastrous picture taking shape for 2022. We'll go inside the numbers. Number one. We've gotten this question about the origins, and and, uh, and we've been pretty vocal, right? This administration, we, have, we didn't have access. You know, China wasn't transparent enough. Uh, we have been saying that for a very long time, that China needed to provide more access to the lab. Yeah, you think so? Karine Jean-Pierre. She's filling in for Jen Psaki. Now you care. For months, we have been pounding on the door, demanding answers on the origin of the pandemic. Not buying this whole bat bought a uh, bit another animal which infected human beings story for over a year. 
Facebook would just destroy your account, freeze your account, or ban you if you wrote about this. We now have massive progress and defensiveness on Capitol Hill. We'll review. So the Washington Post now asking questions, citing in their lead editorial in the South China Morning Post, citing this, which is, by the way, Hong Kong published this when it was free Hong Kong in March 2020. They cite this, or it was reported by the editor of the South China Morning Post that uh, they had seen government records never made public showing that the earliest onset of the case was November 17th, 2019. And authorities identified at least 266 people who were infected last year. All of them came under medical surveillance at some point. So instead of having one couple of cases in December, it turns out there was 266 cases in November. Those lion eyes in in China. We know they're liars. We know they're th- they're stealers. They stole all, most of our technology. They do it all the time. Intellectual property, so to speak. We know they're in our country trying to infiltrate our, our uh, educational system. Same day, yesterday, the virus lab theories, new credibility, the Wall Street Journal. Suddenly people are paying attention to what Tom Cotton told us over a year ago, that the Wuhan lab is right there. It's implausible to think that it's not indeed possible that this happened at the very least with a lab accident. And now you're paying attention. Two days ago, Jen Psaki says the WHO is going to investigate. Two days later, Joe Biden comes out and says, I gave my intelligence apparatus 90 days to come back with a report of the uh, of the, gen- the genesis of this pandemic, of the COVID-19 virus. Here is the new ruling. Cut one. The language that you all use specifically mentioned an accident. Does that mean that uh, you've ruled out or the IC has ruled out that it was uh, deliberate or not an accident? We haven't ruled out anything yet. Um, Again, we're going to go through this, you know, this redoubling down of another of a 90 day review and we'll have more to share. 90 day review, just like they're going to pack the courts in 90 days. Remember, big 90 day review two days ago. Peter Ducey was told that's not how it works. Two days later, we're doing a 90 day review. Cut three. We've gotten this question about the origins, and and uh, and we've been pretty vocal, right? This administration, we have we didn't have access. You know, China wasn't transparent enough. Uh, we have been saying that for a very long time that China needed to provide more access to the lab, uh, cooperate more fully with the scientific investigators, and uh, we don't think that they have met that standard. Oh, my goodness. You have not been vocal at all. You've been quiet about it, not even curious about it. And the people that brought it up, basically the Washington Times and New York uh, and Fox, you've been deceptive and dismissive. So we've had Josh Rogan on about five times. He wrote the book about this, writing a book about China and the U.S. relations. It turns into a global pandemic. And he was at the cusp of this story. And he could not believe about the lack of curiosity from even the Washington Post and CNN, both of which employ him. And here's what he's saying could be done. And here's what he's saying about China in particular. Cut eight. All these other countries are not strong enough to stand up to the Chinese government. We are, if we want to be, if we choose to be, and we're just too scared of our own politics and worried about how our tweets from March 2020 will look in the light of day if this turns out to be true, or whatever navel-gazing that the media is doing right now, trying to trip over themselves, pretending that they were objective a year ago, and now they're just learning. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares about the narrative. So, Jai, you can see how fired up he was. Do you understand? Josh Rogan doesn't get up every day, let's say, like Tom Cotton or Lindsey Graham saying, how's 
Joe Biden screwing up the world. I do get up that day. I never thought I would be. I never thought he would be this bad, but that's how I get up. Not, not, not Josh Rogan. I mean, I'm sure he leans left. I, I don't know. But that's not what he's reporting on. Cut nine. People care about getting to the bottom of the crisis so that we can prevent the next one. And I think if the Biden administration decided, which it has not yet decided to do, to to actually lead that effort and not palm it off to the WHO, which Biden people privately admit to me they know is going to be a dead end. They know it's 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 a fool's errand because the WHO is not set up for that. Not because they're not nice people. It's because they don't have the power to do it. But we do. And if the Biden administration would lead, if America would lead, I assure you the rest of the world would follow. Yes, but right now, Australia took the lead, and Australia got pounded economically in the middle of a pandemic. They had to do, well, I guess, a self-preservation move and have a watered-down report of what they knew to their neighbor, who they, sailed the, who they share the South China Sea with. So it's up to both sides to rally around this. Are we that divided we can't rally around against China? Really? That divided? By the way, this just in. The proposal Republicans put forward is worth 928 uh, billion dollars, almost a trillion. They started at 568 billion. You can't say Republicans aren't playing ball. What they want to do is they want to do an infrastructure bill, not elder care, not preschool, not school lunches, not health care. It has got to be infrastructure. Do those other things in another category and debate it. I digress. So the other big story is Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, at which time we have on his emails with direct references to his dad talking about two separate dinners being put together with international business people, many of which are dicey. Uh, This with Yelena Botrina, this Russian billionaire, and her husband were invited. Now former Moscow mayor, now dead and disgraced, Yuri Laskov was invited. Uh, There was a a Kazakhstan uh, person invited. Three weeks later, there was another dinner, Cafe Milano, and watched 14 people were invited and references that my dad, the sitting vice president, will be there. Burisma executives were at the first one. And guess what? Devin Archer was there. You recognize that name? That's the business partner of Hunter Biden. I think he's in jail at this point for his corrupt business practices. If you're not dead or in jail, you haven't worked with Hunter Biden. $3.5 million dropped into Rosemont Seneca. That's the organization that John Kerry's son said, count me out. I don't like the how it makes my dad look. He's sitting Secretary of State. I can't do that. That did not stop Hunter Biden, who got a job on Burisma's board famously, was getting paid $89,000 a month, million dollars a year. The minute Joe Biden left office, he got a pay cut, $41,000 a year. And harkens this phrase, how do you live on that? More evidence that Joe Biden was lying when Joe Biden's dad, uh, when Hunter Biden's dad came out and was asked, sadly, by only one outlet, our outlet, about what he had to do with his son's international business practices. Cut 26. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Okay. That seems to be a bold-faced lie. Tony Bobolinsky, who... Had his reputation sullied when he came out and told the truth, told Ron Johnson everything. Then Ron Johnson lost the majority in the Senate. More ramifications of that Georgia result, which put two uh, Democratic senators representing Georgia, which is unthinkable. Tony Bobolinsky says these emails do involve Hunter, yeah, and his dad. Cut 29. 
I received an email concerning allocation of equity, which says 10% held by H for the big guy. In that email, there's no question that H stands for Hunter, big guy for his father, Joe Biden, and Jim for Jim Biden. In fact, Hunter often referred to his father as the big guy or my chairman. Yeah, more. Cut 30. I've heard Joe Biden say that he's never discussed business with Hunter. That is false. I have firsthand knowledge about this because I directly dealt with the Biden family, including Joe Biden. Tony Bobulinski, Penn State wrestler, international business success, never has, another work, never has to work another day in his life, but saw something happen to his country. And I believe, I don't want to put words in his mouth, I believe he thinks the results that he's seen so far in the four months of the Biden administration, worse than you can imagine. What he's doing to the military, what's happening at the border, what's happening with inflation in our economy, uh, these horrible spending proposals, uh, what's happening with Russia and the acquiescence that gets us a summit in June 16th, the re-entry into the Iran deal, the collapse of Palestinian and Israeli coexistence as they rocket each other. All of this stuff wasn't happening under President Trump that everybody, so many people out there found unacceptable, especially on the right. Now look what you got. You have a guy that's more traditional, but his programs are radical. And we'll discuss that when we come back, how Democrats are even realizing now that wokeism, cancel culture, is killing them. What a show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. This idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff, you should get over that quickly. The world world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. That was Barack Obama, of all things. You know, he's gone way to the left since he left office, too. But liberalism's kryptonite for Dems. Wokeness might just kill him. Yep. 
That is what hap- is happening right now because the New York Times is writing that story. New York, new polls show a growing number see Biden as way too liberal. Uh, most Democrats, 69%, say Biden is about right on the issues. One in six see him as too liberal, 16% up from 9%. 79% of Republicans think Biden's spending is too much compared to 42%. 77 and by the way, on the issues, on packing the court, on border security, on voter ID— you think by listening to AOC and the squad and Joe Biden, American public is for opening up the borders, for forgetting about voter ID, but they're not. 77% of, Amer- 77% of Americans support getting ID before you vote. 54% say the president is spending way too much time just pushing liberal policies. Only 44% say all his spending has just trying to jumpstart the economy. These are all heading in the wrong direction. The whole wokeism thing has got the New York Times writing an editorial to try to get people's attention. Is wokeness a kryptonite for Dems? I ask you that question because maybe this whole next generation is woke and maybe that woke philosophy will get them to the polls. It's a scary thought, but maybe they do. So here's a quote from a psychologist in the story. Wokeism is kryptonite for Dems. Why? Most people hate it, other than progressive activists. If you just look at America's policy preferences, Dems should be winning big majorities. But we have a strong negative partisanship. And when people are faced with a party that seems to want to defund the police, rename schools, like getting Abraham Lincoln's off the school, uh, I'm not kidding, out in San Francisco, rather than open them, remember, all the ones that are shut down are in blue states like California— and like Chicago, and like New York City, all while crime is rising. Yes, defunding the police, that's a urban thing that is so unpopular, I can't put into words. It scares people like James Clyburn. And kids' welfare is falling. Remember how many kids and how your kid has been affected by wearing the mask all day. And the left flank of the party is just so easy for Republicans to run against. That, according to Jonathan Haidt, who wrote the New York Times op-ed. There's nothing he said that's inaccurate. Tim Scott pointed that out. Cut 17. But the stakeholder capitalism or the woke capitalism seems to be running amok. It just seems confusing to me that one would say I support capitalism, but I'm doing these things that are inconsistent with the statement that I support capitalism. And then I cannot articulate a a single reason why I would not support why I oppose the law in Georgia or why I oppose funding or financing the oil industry or, 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 or manufacturers of guns. I just jotted this down uh, on my way up from doing Fox and Friends on the Iran. Does anybody really want to get back into that deal? Anybody? It's a terrible deal. Democrats didn't even vote for it in the Senate, but the president's trying, begging to get back in. It's embarrassing. The border? Does anybody think the border's going well? Anyone buy the fact that it's Donald Trump's fault? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Is anyone abhorred by the fact the vice president in 60 plus days has even gone there, spoken about it, held a press conference or a face to face meeting in any of the nations? Now we have Romanians and Haitians emptying up at our border. We can't stop it. We don't have people, Border Patrol, resigning. Is that partisan or is that fact? What about Hamas versus Israel? How's that going?
you would think that this big push on the left is Israel is the bad guy. But if over 50% of Democrats think Israel was right. And what about the hack of the pipeline in the southeast? We don't know who did it. We haven't heard a follow-up. They paid a ransom. Joe Biden did nothing. Gas has doubled. Inflation has tripled. Everything that you buy is more expensive. Please tell me the Democratic philosophy program bill that's working out, let alone what they're doing to our culture that has has left-wing comedians like Bill Maher and Dave Chappelle alarmed. Cancel culture cannot exist for long. It's not popular. It's got to stop. Let Democrats keep it up. Lose everything. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Dr. Ballard's discovery unleashed an explosion of interest in the Titanic, attracting tourists and treasure hunters to the site. According to the laws of the sea, Ballard and his team could have claimed the Titanic as their own property by removing a single artifact. They chose not to disturb the wreck. Interesting decision there, but that's how Bob Ballard became even more famous, and he'd been doing it, though, for decades, and that is going out and discovering things and helping us learn more about the oceans and the planet. Dr. Uh, Robert Ballard joins us now, author of a brand-new book that has a compatible documentary on Nat Geo. It's called Into the Deep, a memoir from the man who found the Titanic. Dr. Ballard, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me back. Yes, it's uh, great to talk to you. So what, what did you discover in going? It isn't just about your discoveries. It, this book and this uh, documentary is about you and your personal discovery. What made this timing right to do it? Well, you know, it was really a lot of reasons, one of them being, you know, I was a Cub Scout, a Boy Scout, an Army officer, a Naval officer, and always taught to tell the truth. And I actually had to lie when people said, who funded your search for the Titanic? Because it was really a cover for a top-secret military program to look for the nuclear weapons on the USS Scorpion, which we lost during the Cold War. And I was, you know, had to keep it a secret. And so finally the military declassified it and gave me a chance to, to tell the truth. It's also because uh, I'm about to embark upon a major new program to explore the 50% of America that lies beneath the sea that'll last 10 years. And so I wanted to really wrap up a lot of things. And plus, it gave me an opportunity to sort of come out. I, I'm, I'm dyslexics, and most dyslexics don't talk about it. And I want to talk to those kids because there's a 20% of our population are dyslexic, and yet there's a very high suicide rate uh, amongst the dyslexics, and a huge incarceration rate. So I think it's time for people to come out of the closet and be proud that they're dyslexic because it really is a gift. Why? Why? How is it a gift? It 
we see things differently. Our minds are wired completely differently than a non-dyslexic. And if you go down the right road, which I went down, and I work in total darkness, so I have to form everything in my mind. I have to look at maps and charts. Uh, I can now close my eyes and completely drive around the Titanic from memory, and that's a very powerful tool when you're in my world, in the deep, where it's totally dark. And you think that's related to dyslexia because you have to picture words differently than you see them? Exactly. In other words, I was inspired uh, to become Captain Nemo, not by the book 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but by the movie when I was 12 years old. And also remember that Walt Disney was dyslexic, and, and he's a vivid example of a successful, successful story, as are so many other people. But like I say, a lot of people, it just takes them down. They're told they're stupid when they're not, and I really want to really showcase my success and tell that 20% of kids, no, you can do it. So bring us back to one of your, one, one of your 157 deep-sea expeditions first. <laughs> so on the Titanic, so did you have an idea that the Titanic was around there while you went on the other mission that you were forced to be less than candid about? Well, I had to go on this on top secret mission first, and that was the problem. I was never the one that was supposed to find the Titanic. I was doing a, a program with the French, and they had sonar systems that work in the dark. They were supposed to find it. They didn't. So now here I am coming in, and wait a minute, you haven't found it yet? And I had to dream up a way, and again, my dyslexic mind began to imagine how the ship sank, and I'd learned from the Scorpion that there was a long debris field, a very long debris field. As it imploded, at collapsed depth, and then it fell 11,500 feet. Currents carried its debris and laid it out. It's sort of like if you wanted to go hunt for a deer in the winter, you follow the footsteps to where it's hiding. And so that's basically what this dyslexic mind did for me, is it came up with a unique way of finding it in a very short period of time. Others had months. I had a few days, and I was able to pull it off. Do you remember the thought you had as you first saw it? Uh, do you remember what you thought when you first <laughs> zeroed in on it? Absolutely. First, I was terrified I was going to blow my military cover. When I found it, my, uh, although it was initiated by President Reagan, he was the one that said, go do it, through John Lehman and then down to my boss, who was Vice Admiral Ron Thunman. And I remember being called on the carpet in the E-ring at the Pentagon when he said, Commander Ballard, your job was to look for the Titanic, not find it. And I, I've always gone by the axiom, never Ask permission, beg forgiveness. I told him I'd never do it again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so there was that worry. But then there was, you know, here it was, I played college basketball, and I know the thrill of scoring that goal at the winning uh, buzzer, and it was down to that, the final shot, and I discovered it. So naturally, we were all excited, jumping up and down, and then someone in the command center looked at the clock on the wall and said, you know, she sinks in 20 minutes. It was 2 in the morning. She sank at 2.20, and that simply simple comment just grounded us, and we realized we were dancing on someone's grave, and we just, it's like a wall switch. Our behavior changed to a solemn behavior. We swore we would never take anything off the Titanic. It's like taking a shovel to Gettysburg or pulling belt buckles off the Arizona. There are certain things you just don't do at a gravesite. And because of that, you did not own it. Uh, that wasn't your property and it cost you millions of dollars. Therefore, other treasure hunters did, though, right? That's okay. You know, yeah. I tried. I went to the courts. I said, look, 
what's the deal? They say, well, you found it. Admiralty law says that it's yours. If you recover an object, come into court. We were going back with our submarine because we were practicing a, a, a robot to go inside the Scorpion, and we were practicing it on the Titanic. And they said, just pick up something, come on in, and we'll make you the salver of possession. I said, what's that mean? You have to remove it from the bottom of the ocean. I said, I don't want to remove it from the bottom of the ocean. We can visit now uh, with telepresent technology. I pioneered. Uh, someday you'll be able to sit in your house and rent a robot and explore the Titanic. Uh, so I didn't want to do it, and they said, sorry, sorry, Commander, uh, you can't own it. And then people came in after me, and I couldn't stop them. What did it do to your life afterwards? I mean, we got the movie, the, the Titanic re- was reborn again. For some reason, Americans just love this story. But what did it do to your life afterwards? Well, it was, a, it was a two-edged sword. I mean, I'm an academician. I caught a lot of flack. I mean, uh, this is inappropriate. I mean, my director of my, my institution was totally opposed to it. This is something scientists don't do. And I said, wait a minute. You know, we're developing new exploratory technology paid for by the taxpayer, and they deserve the right to know what we're doing with their money. You know, I, I'm I'm 13th generation American, but the first to go to college. So I'm I'm the common man, and I and and I just felt that they need to know how we're spending their money, and and I thought this was a way to demonstrate the power of it. Plus, President Reagan wanted to spook the Soviets. <laughs> it sure spooked them. You did. There were other expeditions that you bring up, though. You said uh, we have a cut here from one of your uh, one of your documentaries. Here's Ted Kennedy talking about how his older brother became president, was disappointed they didn't try to find him after his PT boat sank. Listen. I remember the disappointment that he had that uh, they hadn't come back up the Blackett Straits in order to try and find him, and that uh, this sort of, uh, sort of anger at that uh, was really, I think, was uh, something that carried him. Did you go searching for that boat? I did. It was a needle in a haystack for sure because it wasn't. They're, they're never where they, people say they are. Bismarck was tough. They're all tough. You know, the Yorktown. I mean, why do you want to take on an easy one? And I'm still trying to find Amelia Earhart's airplane, but I'm going to get it next time. And so it's not co- uncommon for me to fail the first time. In fact, I've learned that uh, success is on the other side of failure. You don't avoid failure. You go through it. But the only way you get through it is having the passion to get through it and get up when you get knocked down. So yeah, I, I take on big ones, and it's a lot of fun. So, you know, you have, you've had a great life, great career, but you also point out that you had to go through a divorce. You lost yep. your 20-year-old son. Yep. Uh, in the past, you have uh, not had all success, but you've turned around and said uh, failure is your greatest teacher. How have it you is. dealt through with all that, and how? what about the decision to write about that in your book? It was a tough decision, you know. I mean— I remember writing other books in the past that got great reviews, and and they always say it was a great book, but we don't know anything about the person. And and I think it was really because I discovered who I was. It was a very cathartic a moment when I when I realized why I am the way I am and why I'm wired the way I am, and to realize how many people my my daughter was bullied through school because she was dyslexic, and you know it took. It takes a lot. Bullying can really have a, a hard, erosive a, a, a impact upon your life. And I want to tell those kids, don't let people bully you and go down a road where you just you ice them. I mean, there are some so many success stories. Entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs and billionaires are dyslexic. 
So interesting. Bob, you know, you remind me just reading about this and also reading books on Columbus. You, know, you would have probably, if you lived in the 1490s, you would have been that explorer. Do you get that sense? You bet. <laughs> you bet. I mean, like I say, uh, my, they call me an underwater cowboy. My, my father's uh, family, like I say, came over from England in 1635 and started walking across the United States. I was born in Wichita, Kansas, where all oceanographers come from. But I was born six months after Pearl Harbor, and he, he moved the family and started flying with Chuck Yeager in the Mojave Desert and then settled on the Pacific Coast, and I just kept walking. And uh, we're all fortunate that you did. Dr. Uh, Robert Ballard, author of a brand new book, Into the Deep, a memoir of the man who found the Titanic. And we also have a documentary coming out looking at your uh, incredible career. And I know we're going to have you on Fox and Friends soon, too. Uh, So, Bob, it's been great talking to you. I appreciate it. Roger that. And thanks for having me. Yeah, congratulations on everything. And I know the best is yet to come. Uh, Bob Ballard. Meanwhile, when we come back, your turn, 1 866 408 7669. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. We're covering uh, kind of a breaking story. Republicans, instead of saying, Joe Biden, I don't want to do business with you, your infrastructure bill is not, uh, is not, does not contain much infrastructure, you don't want to do a deal, they instead came back with a counterproposal to the counterproposal. What it said, and what might the Democratic reaction be right after this? Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Get this in all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. What we are looking at today is a $928 billion package over eight years. It sticks to the core infrastructure features that we talked to initially. It's a serious effort to try to reach a bipartisan agreement. And we've heard him say inaction is not an option for him. We've now passed two of the smaller, and actually the surface transportation hasn't gone out of the full Senate yet, but it is a major anchor to this piece of legislation. And so I think that shows that there's a real hunger for bipartisanship in the United States Senate. There's a real ability to achieve that, and we're hoping that uh, this moves the ball forward. So uh, after cutting $500 billion, but really moving it over to another bill, Joe Biden says, look, I'm showing you that I'm flexible, I'm pliable. I came down from $1.7 to $1.4. Republicans were at $568 billion. They just went up to $923 billion. And here's the difference. I'll just give you an idea of what, what they pledged. Public transit systems, $98 billion. Passenger and freight, $46 billion. Safety, $21 billion. Ports and waterways, $22 billion. Airports, $56 billion. Western water storage, $22 billion. Water infrastructure, $72 billion. Broadband, $65 billion. Uh, infrastructure financing, $20 billion. The big question is, how do you pay for it? And what are you going to do with people who say human infrastructure should be part of this? Elder care, free lunches for kids, student uh, school lunches, and free preschool. And what about free college? Here's what Pat Toomey said at the outgoing, I'm not going to run for re-election, Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania, but real good with numbers. I just want to stress uh, a couple of quick points, uh, and one of them is the consistency with which we have communicated how we think about this to President Biden and his team, and that includes 
this group of senators. It includes Leader McConnell. And, and that consistently I'm alluding to is the fact that we want to focus on actual infrastructure, right? The platforms and services that move people and goods and services through our economy. That's what people understand to be infrastructure, and we can reach an agreement uh, if we focus on those items. The second thing that we've been very, very clear on every single time we've had a discussion is that we're not raising taxes. Not, and that means good forget about raising the taxes on corporate America and upper class America. It's not going to happen. It's at 37 percent. He thinks that's enough. You see these states jacking up taxes anyway, like New York and California. Meanwhile, uh, I think this is really strong. I mean, when you almost pledge a trillion dollars, come on. You can't say you don't want a deal. And I don't think Joe Biden has the votes with his Democratic senators. I'm telling you, they want the SALT tax raise. Essentially, that's an acronym that says you should be able to write off your state taxes, which makes it more reasonable to stay in New York, California, and in Illinois, because at least well, I'm paying a lot of money, but at least I can write it off. Donald Trump got rid of that, made Texas, Tennessee, and Florida, places like that, uh, more, uh, more family-friendly. Carl Rove says a deal could get done. You're seeing that they are doing a deal. They are moving the ball, and it's legitimate infrastructure. If I'm President Biden, I'm 78 years old, you say you're a moderate. If you want any hope of holding on to the House and Senate in 2022, do a deal. I mean, do a deal. This is what I gave up. This is what I got. That's the type of thing that could bring people together. What do you think? 1-866-408-7669. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Well, we're looking at a second surge, it seems, 7 million under lockdown in Australia. And what's happening in Japan? So bad and so worried are people in Japan. They don't want the, the Olympics. Already postponed a year, the Tokyo Olympics are very much in jeopardy. Joe Biden says he reiterated his support for Japan's intention to host the Games. But a new wave of coronavirus in Japan led the U.S. State Department to issue a warning on traveling there. We'll see how this goes. Uh, evidently, there's 100,000 people over the last 28 days have gotten the virus. I can't believe they haven't done a better job getting the vaccine out there. Next, Otto Wambier's mom pleads with the judge to stop Biden's White House extradition of a, a North Korea a man named Christopher Han. He faces extradition to Spain as a member of the groups advocating freedom for North Korea. Um, and I think this is a huge problem. Cindy Wambier, whose son Otto was killed by that horrible regime, says our government have failed us. They told us to keep quiet. They told us Otto would be home soon. No one ever stands up to North Korea. I am standing up to North Korea. I am standing up for Chris Ahn, a good man. North Korea will kill Chris if he's extradited. Evidently, Ahn faces extradition. He's, uh, uh, he came out against the government. Uh, the uh, Biden administration continues to press a request by Spanish authorities to send him back to Madrid to face charges. And next, um, one more, uh, a tenure for the 1619 creator. The project founder, Nicole Hannah-Jones, is very much in jeopardy at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, the trustee there told News and Observer that he received the resubmission from the university's appointments. This doesn't guarantee that there'll be a vote. It's unclear whether she'll get tenure. Uh, the problem is her qualifications aren't great. Campus state and national groups have rallied in favor of Hannah Jones, MacArthur, and MacArthur Genius Grant winner who won a Pulitzer for a 1619 project. And many states have adopted that as their curriculum, which is flat out wrong for America, wrong for an academic uh, uh, institution. The project explores the legacy and history of black Americans. It says America started in 1619. 
1776, which is flat out wrong. Come on, UNC, stand strong. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Go to briankilmeade.com, order any of my books, including Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers, the truth about the Alamo, not the stuff you've been reading about in Texas, which, believe it or not, is controversial. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. We come to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, And, of course, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Miranda Devine from the New York Post will be joining us shortly. Uh, She is all over the Hunter Biden story, many stories, including Anthony Fauci's phoniness. But Miranda has got a book coming out in September about the laptop from hell, which is produced. Maybe for me, it's new and you it's new, not for her, but just more evidence that Hunter Biden was setting up impactful meetings with international business people, with a sitting vice president who happened to be his dad, and it revolved around the Ukraine. And one was a Burisma executive, and Devin Archer, his now, I believe, imprisoned partner, Hunter Biden. Don't focus on his crack use. Focus on what he was doing with his dad for his dad and for his own wallet. So we'll do that. Glenn Lowry will be joining us, too. He's the esteemed Merton P. Stoltz, professor of social science and professor of economics at Brown University, a self-made success story, African-American, with a different view on race in America today that you might be hearing lately and you don't hear on BML, BLM doctrine or parades. And then we'll do a simulcast on Barney and Company. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Why discuss when you're actually at the dinner? Uh, The gift that keeps on giving, Hunter's laptop, a New York Post exclusive. They found Hunter's uh, bought his dad to two separate dinners when he was vice president. Shady business partners and would-be partners. $3.5 million changing hands. And yes, Burisma executives are there. And Miranda Devine is here. Number two. Like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb or then... I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. That's not activism. Barack Obama trying to alert the left that they're in trouble with this whole wokeism, this whole politically correct cancel culture. That was him in 2019. Now polls say he was 100% right. Moderates are left out cold. Radical leftists are taking over that party. And polls show America doesn't want it. Wokeness and cancel culture facing widespread backlash. Democrats are responsible. And James Carville warned about it, too. We'll go inside the numbers. Number one. We've gotten this question about the origins, and and uh, and we've been pretty vocal, right? This administration, we have we didn't have access. You know, China wasn't transparent enough. Uh, we have been saying that for a very long time that China needed to provide more access to the lab. Corinne Jean Pierre filling in for Jen Psaki yesterday. Now you care. For months, we've been pounding on the door, demanding answers on the origin of the pandemic. Anthony Fauci uh, actually shelved it, and there's stories where he would just go out flat out 
and, and contradict President Trump on this. Now his defensiveness is apparent. His role might be transparent soon. And let's bring in Miranda Devine. Miranda, are you surprised? We now have the Wall Street Journal and we have the Washington Post and other outlets saying, well, on second thought, maybe there is, including President Biden in two days, maybe there is some merit to the Wuhan lab having an accident causing this pandemic. Miranda? Oh, we just lost her. More than a year. I'm oh, back. Okay. Um, yeah, look, Brian, it's, it's insane because, uh, you know, for more than a year, we've had uh, the, the great and the good telling us that the lab leak theory is uh, implausible. It's a conspiracy theory. It's debunked is their favorite one. Uh, this is the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN. You know, you laughed at if you mention it, even though reputable scientists were saying, well, it's the most plausible reason um, for the outbreak because it was the virus was so fully evolved to infect humans um, straight out of the box, whereas normally if it comes out of a bat, it'll it'll take some time to evolve to to be optimised for the human body. So there were a lot of reasons that reputable virologists were saying this looks like it could have been manufactured in a lab or juiced up in a lab. And, uh, and, and you know, the fact that Anthony Fauci and Dr. Peter Daszak, who's from that New York non-profit EcoHealth Alliance, which got funding from Anthony Fauci's outfit, which they then funneled over with the, with the you know, the express permission of the NIH, they funneled it over to the Wuhan lab to do gain-of-function research on bat coronaviruses. And the Chinese have covered up. Uh, the World Health Organization, which is beholden to the Chinese and has been lying from the start and is completely lacking credibility, they also uh, were, were letting the Chinese off the hook. But there is no excuse for the American media to have covered up the China and poo-pooed those people in conservative media um, who were very quick off the mark. I mean, I remember Bill Gertz in the Washington Times back, I think, in January was saying, uh, talking about the lab leak theory, writing about it. Um, but that was just all dismissed. And we we lost valuable time. You know, i it's like when there's a crime scene and uh, you don't immediately go and investigate it. You lose clues. And we've let, we've let the Chinese have all this time to cover up. Yeah, it's a joke. Uh, by the way, Senator Cotton brought it up in February, even on this show. So here's yes. a headline I see from CNN.com. Anthony Fauci just crushed Donald Trump's theory on the coronavirus coming from a lab in Wuhan. That was a headline on May 5th, yes. a year ago today. How that's Chris Kaliza. Don't tell me these these men and women didn't have an agenda just being anti-Trump. Listen to the exchange. Now, I don't want to hear any softball interviews with Anthony Fauci again. Don't tell me where I can stand in a sports bar. Don't tell me what I have to wear to go shopping or why my kids can't go to school. I want real questions. Listen to this exchange uh, with Anthony, uh, with uh, Senator Kennedy. Cut six. You didn't give any money to the Wuhan lab to conduct gain-of-function research. Is that right? That is correct. How do you know they didn't lie to you? Excuse me, sir? How do you know they didn't lie to you and use the money for gain-of-function research anyway? 
Well, we've seen the results of the experiments that were done and that were published and that the viruses that they um, uh, studied are on public databases now. So none of that was gain of function. So How do you know they didn't do the research and uh, not put it on their website? There's no way of guaranteeing that. Yeah, no kidding. That's called a follow-up question. Nobody follows up with this guy, except for they want to marginalize Rand Paul for coming back at him. I'm watching MSNBC, and they're saying it's a QAnon theory that Rand Paul has. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's incredible, isn't it? Rand Paul was fantastic a couple of weeks ago when he questioned Anthony Fauci because he didn't back off. And uh, Dr. Fauci has a very sort of skillful, almost Columbo-esque way of deflecting questions. And uh, and he seems so, you know, honest and sort of, uh, you know, politely outraged that you'd be questioning his honour. But um, he, he, he told Rand Paul that uh, the NIH had never funded gain-of-function research and at the Wuhan Institute, but we right. know that there was money. And he, he then admitted, like a few hours later, when he was at an, in another one of his media um, outings, he, and he was obviously rattled by Rand Paul's very aggressive questioning. So he actually did admit, as a sort of inoculation of himself, that, well, yes, they, they had... Um, they had, you know, funded a, a tiny bit of funding for, um, you know, a very minor collaboration as part of a subcontract of a grant. So, you know, that's that's yes. Like, that's gotcha. being a little bit pregnant. So let's talk about Hunter Biden. You're doing a book on it, uh, and there's more emails that appear in the New York Post today. Hunter Biden putting together two dinner parties, uh, one of which is at uh, Cafe Milano. Uh, with uh, Russian billionaires, with the mayor, former disgraced mayor of Moscow, Kazakhstan uh, higher-ups, uh, Burisma executives. And guess who was there, according to the emails? Joe Biden. Are we to believe they're authentic? Oh, absolutely. I mean, these are, these are emails. These are Hunter Biden's emails between him and his, um, his business partners and talking about the guest list and who they were inviting and that Joe was coming along and then thank you uh, emails afterwards from, you know, his Burisma benefactor from the company, that corrupt energy company in Ukraine that was paying Hunter $83,000 plus a month to sit on its board. Uh, Thank you letters from them saying, oh, great to meet your father. Really, you know, thanks for the opportunity. Um, you know, and, and you had the Kazakhstan, uh, Kazakhstan prime minister of the time who was there. Also, uh, an oligarch from Kazakhstan was there. Um, you know, it was, it was from three countries, from Russia, from Ukraine, and from Kazakhstan that Hunter was doing business and profiting from and... His father, Joe Biden, who swore blind that he had nothing to do, knew nothing about Hunter Biden's business dealings overseas when he was vice president. And Hunter was, you know, coming up behind him and uh, in all the countries that Joe Biden was in charge of for the Obama administration. And Hunter Biden's just there scooping up money from people, blatant influence peddling. So, and yet and Joe his, Biden says but, but his he follow, knows nothing about it. And his follow-up question on his book tour was, yeah, I don't remember if that's my email. It beats me. I don't remember dropping it off and blaming it on drug use. But the big story, Miranda, as you know, is not what a crackhead Hunter Biden is. And what a liar he is. Mm. It is no. about what his dad 
everyone can relate to addiction, sadly, whatever you think about it. But that's a distraction. It's what it was his dad profiting from it. And, and, and you know, Tony Bobulinski made it clear that there was no doubt that Joe Biden knew exactly what's going on. And he doesn't care if you believe him or not. Listen, cut 29. I received an email concerning allocation of equity, which says 10 percent held by H for the big guy. In that email, there's no question that H stands for Hunter, big guy for his father, Joe Biden, and Jim for Jim Biden. In fact, Hunter often referred to his father as the big guy or my chairman. So there's been a lack of curiosity here. Uh, is, this gonna, is this going to pick up more steam, do you think? Well, it certainly should. Uh, there is so much on the laptop that, you know, you piece it all together, plus the jigsaw puzzle with the Tony Bobulinski, the contents of uh, his three phones, which I also have, which he's handed over to the FBI. Plus you have... Um, uh, you know, other information from Bevan Cooney, which has been provided to um, Peter Schweitzer and other journalists. Um, so, and then on top of that, so that's three points of light. There's another point of light, which is the Senate, the Johnson-Grasley Senate inquiry, uh, and their very thorough report, which in, included, uh, they had access to transactions, suspicious transactions flagged by the Treasury, foreign transactions that came into the country and that went into um, bank accounts of uh, companies associated with Hunter Biden and his business partners, including $3.5 million from the uh, widow of the ex-mayor of Moscow, uh, a corrupt ex-mayor, who was at the dinner with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden at Cafe Milano in 2015 when Joe Biden was vice president. It's just crazy, and we, I have not seen the laptop. I've seen a piecemeal. You've seen it all, right? Are you is there any doubt? Is there any doubt in some of these? Did, did, did make? Did you look at some of these and say, "Well, I got to cast this aside. This doesn't seem authentic." No, no, no. It's it's like it's like I've got your laptop. Like it's everything in it. It's not like someone's hacked into it and added things. It is. It is, a per, it is a laptop with all your personal information, uh, all your emails or your text messages or your photographs, your notes, your, your uh, voice memos, uh, your, your business documents, you know, thousands and thousands of documents. I mean, it takes a long time to get through it all and figure out what's what. Um, but it's, uh, it's authentic. Um, it's been proven as authentic. We did a lot of due diligence. Uh, we've had cyber experts look at it. Um, you know, it's, it's his laptop. And he, he, he pretty much admitted it when he was doing his book tour where he said, oh, well, it certainly could be his laptop. Oh, you know, but he can't remember dropping it off. Like, well, I mean, that could be true because he was pretty out of it at that time. And, of course, after that, he left uh, the East Coast and h hightailed it back to California. And, of course, he got a hooker pregnant, uh, I think, somewhere along the way. And oh, a, a then stripper, we stripper, to be fair. A stripper, I'm, my fault. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when they wanted to sue to get custody, he would have to turn over his bank records, and he quickly settled, right? Yes, that's right. I mean, that's pretty terrible that he uh, refused 
paternity and then had to be dragged into court, uh, had a DNA test, and it was proven that that was his child. But the worst part about it was in his um, memoir, he talks about um, having, you know, four children, which is his three daughters to his first wife and his new little baby boy to this this new wife. Um, And he doesn't mention that he has another child, a two-year-old girl who's living somewhere in Arkansas, that he doesn't even acknowledge. He just pretends that uh, it was a fleeting, you know, moment, uh, you know, assignation with this stripper from this club that he can't even remember, which is not true because on the website you can see that he has had a several-month relationship with this woman. He was smuggling her into the back door of his office in D.C. And he he knew all about her because he wrote an angry letter to the building managers in that office who were saying you can't use the back door after hours because we've got embassies in this building and it's a security problem. He got very up in arms about that and wrote them this very long uh, high dudgeon letter saying, oh, the woman that I've let in is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, He's sorry. a mess. I can't wait for this book. Uh, and everyone, yeah. check out the New York Post today. Miranda Devine, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. One eight six, you got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Your calls. Then Glenn Lowry coming your way. Then Stuart Varney. What an hour! Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What we are looking at today is a $928 billion package over eight years. It sticks to the core infrastructure features that we talked to initially. It's a serious effort to try to reach a bipartisan agreement. And we've heard him say inaction is not an option for him. We've now passed two of the smaller, and actually the surface transportation hasn't gone out of the full Senate yet, but it is a major anchor to this piece of legislation. And so I think that shows that there's a real hunger for bipartisanship in the United States Senate. There's a real ability to achieve that, and we're hoping that uh, this moves the ball forward. Yeah, and we'll see. That's a $928 billion proposal. That was from the Republicans, a counterproposal to the $1.4 trillion that the Joe Biden administration put forward. Now, remember, Republicans started at $568 billion, but they want infrastructure. Uh, allocated in this is billions for public transportation, uh, freight and rail, passenger rails, uh, safety. I'm not sure what that means, but port and waterways, airports. Western water storage, water infrastructure, broadband infrastructure, and as well as financing. But they're not going to put in elder care. They're not going to put in preschool for all. They're not going to put in junior college for all. They're not going to put in school lunches. They're not going to do this thing called human capital and and subscribe to uh, the whole green technology. And add to this, they're not going to raise taxes. So if that's a no-go, President Biden, I got news for you. You could say no. But you don't have the Democratic Party behind you holistically. So I don't even think you have 50 votes. Do a deal. Help the country. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But the stakeholder capitalism or the woke capitalism seems to be running amok. It just seems confusing to me that one would say I support capitalism, but I'm doing these things that are inconsistent with the statement that I support capitalism, and then I cannot articulate a, a single reason why I would not support why I oppose the law in Georgia or why I oppose funding or financing the oil industry or, 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 or manufacturers of guns. Uh, that was Tim Scott going over what's happening with the Georgia law, voting law, and everyone said it was, I guess uh, it was, you know, the, the Jim Crow. We're revisiting Jim Crow. Not just everyone. The President of the United States said that. Is that true? When people ask for ID, that means you don't like uh, minorities? I don't know. Let's talk to Glenn uh, Lowry about that. He's Merton, uh, the Merton P. Stoltz Professor of Social Sciences and Professor of Economics at Brown University, a self-made success story, and host of the very successful bo- uh, podcast, The Glenn Show. Uh, professor, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Good to be with you. Well, we're talking so much about race today. Does this remind you of any other time in our history? Well, it is a unique time, that's for sure. We may have been talking more about race in the 1960s, the long, hot summers, uh, the height of the civil rights movement, the radical Black Panthers, the assassinations, the burning cities. But we're talking about it quite a bit now, and more so than in the last 20 years, I'd say, at least. Well, and here you are at, this, at the highest of uh, the level, you would argue, in in the career you picked, teaching at a, 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 with a prestigious position at an Ivy League school. Just to give people a, uh, an idea of your background, father of five, proud grandfather of six. Were you born with a silver spoon in your mouth, Professor? Uh, no, sir, although we weren't impoverished. Uh, we were a working-class black family in Chicago, uh, there were a few college graduates around, but most people were blue collar or small shopkeepers or working at the steel mill or the stockyards or whatever. Um, I wouldn't say that we were poor, uh, but Silver Spoon was a long way right. away from anything I knew anything about. So you get out of high school. What did you do? Well, my girlfriend, Charlene, uh, became pregnant. We married. And we had two kids. Uh, I, I dropped out of school. I... Uh, Started working at a printing plant. Uh, I found my way back to a community college at night. One thing led to another, and I ended up a scholarship student at Northwestern University with a uh, midnight to 8 a.m. job and a a family, young wife and two kids. And um, from there, I got a scholarship, went to MIT to study economics. I had some talent. I got my Ph.D. and began an academic career. But, uh, you know, I, I pulled myself up as it were, by my bootstraps with the help of uh, support of uh, people and institutions. I I had opportunities. I took the best advantage of them that I could. And do you feel as though, did you hit racism along the way? (laughs) You're growing up in Chicago in the 1950s and 60s, and you ask me, did I hit racism? Of course I hit racism. Uh, Racism was a part of the American, uh, the warp and woof of American life, but I did not let it define me. And I did not let it keep me from taking advantage of the tremendous opportunities that I had 
uh, uh, growing up in this country. It wasn't perfect, but uh, definitely there was an opportunity, and I tried to take advantage of. And and how did you work your way through it? Why didn't it, why didn't it stop you and say, well, you know, this country's just not fair? Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin to answer that argument. I I suppose it could have, and I worry that too many young black kids today are feeling stifled precisely because of that kind of rhetoric. Life is not fair. There was no promise anywhere that everything was going to be fair. But if you put one foot in front of the other and you're in the United States of America where the streets are practically paved with gold, um, there's nothing that you can't do. That's the story of this country, not just for black people, but for all of the various strands of you know, people who have come and made their lives here, uh, open society, wealthy, dynamic, prosperous, uh, and so on. So it would have been a shame, wouldn't it, if I had allowed uh, the barriers of racism to to lead me into thinking that there was nothing to be done. Yeah, it seems like you doubled down. Uh, the more you were pushed, the more you, uh, you, it seems like you just worked twice as hard, and now you reach the top of your profession. You know, as I studied Frederick Douglass, I mean, obviously racism there, we were, didn't even, as he comes up, he was a slave. And along the way, he has people inspire me. He knows this abolitionist movement around him. He meets, uh, you know, Lloyd Garrison. He meets uh, Garrett Smith. And then he's inspired by John Brown. And along the way, he actually helps convert Abraham Lincoln to, to uh, think beyond his age. There was just a oh, series yeah. of successes along the way. Do you worry that we've lost that mindset in America and we've seemed to be our own worst enemy? I'm worried about the narrative that's uh, evolving amongst the most uh, critical race theory uh, influenced uh, woke uh, writers and commentators. I do worry about that. Uh, I, I do want to say here, though, Brian, if I can, that, yep. you know, the Horatio Alger, not everybody is going to have the luck and the uh, talent and whatnot that I have. And, you know, I'm not going to say that everybody can be Glenn Lowry, but you can finish high school. You can marry the girl you got pregnant or the guy that you got pregnant with. Um, you can learn a trade. You can work. Uh, you can stay out of trouble with the law. Uh, you can pretty much respect your body and your spirit by not putting stuff into it that's poison. These are choices that people have, and everybody can make those choices. So I don't want my story to stand as what anybody can do, but I think we can all do better. Um, if if we apply ourselves systematically and if we hold ourselves accountable. And depending on what you want to achieve, some people want an academic career. Some people want an athletic career. Some people uh, want to be sure. a cop and in 20 years retire, and, and that's great. Um, but it's, it's my feeling is you just got to take responsibility for your own life um, one way or another and then just try to make things better along the way. But now you have this critical race theory that's, I think, infecting all of society, and I thought it was noteworthy – then now they're having companies uh, kind of put that as part of their curriculum. I saw that uh, last night, in fact, that was uh, it was brought up too. I think it was on uh, on Tucker's show that they at at um, at one of these defense firms. They're saying you got to go take critical race theory and see how biased you are as a white person towards uh, black people. Is there a, is there anything about that that concerns you? In fact, here's Christopher Ruffo talking about this. Cut twenty three. This is a long-standing training program. Actually, 8,000 Lockheed Martin executives and employees have been through uh, race re-education programs. And this one was a particularly galling. They had uh, these executives go through these exercises where they said that 
being a white male was analogous to being a KKK member, to being in the Aryan nation. Uh, they also said that, uh, you know, kind of funny way, white men can't jump. And all of these slurs and stereotypes about their own uh, origins. And they take it through a series of exercises where they had to review 156 white male privilege statements, apologizing for their race, apologizing for their sex, apologizing for their orientation. I'm hearing this, the variations of this all around. Have you? Yeah. And uh, I read, uh, I think it was Chris Rufo's piece in City Journal about Disney. Uh, even had some documentation. I hope I got that right. But and in any case, off, it's they all, backed off on that. But go ahead. They backed off. Yeah, it's all over. It's everywhere. These people, mark my words, are overplaying their hand. They're inviting the backlash that they're getting. And it's, it's a way across the board. Uh, people are not going to put up with this. Uh, they are essentializing race. They're obsessed with race. And when they go around presuming that every white employee is carrying some kind of privilege and is reflecting some kind of bias and, and people are made to jump through these hoops, uh, they're not going to stand for it. So um, I predict that we're going to see a, a change in the narrative here because uh, they, they, the liberals have coddled uh, them. I'm talking about the them I'm talking about here are the anti-racist activists who want to root out uh, white races from every organization and every aspect of American life. It reminds me of McCarthyism. It's as if they were hunting for communists who were disloyal to the United States of America. But no, they're hunting for people who don't know the right word to say, who ask whether or not affirmative action is leading to unqualified people getting positions that they can't handle, uh, who simply uh, want to be themselves. Uh, and, they're, and they're accusing them of being racist for simply wanting to be themselves. And, and uh, it's not going to hold. Uh, that's my considered yeah. opinion about it. And well, neither should it hold. And, and what about these Jim Crow laws? That's how they just, Joe Biden described what's happening in Georgia. Listen. At a time when the pandemic and the economic crisis continued to devastate black communities, at a time when the cry for justice 400 years in the making is ringing out across our nation, at a time when parts of our country are backsliding into the days of Jim Crow, passing laws that harken back to the era of poll taxes. But you're fighting. You're fighting for the soul of America. Really? Uh, I, I, I read that law. I couldn't believe what he was talking about as opposed to what it is. This is the Democrats' big lie. This is all about politics. They're trying to drive black people to the polls to vote Democratic because the party, the Democratic Party, really doesn't have a viable electoral strategy without 90% of blacks voting for them. Asking a voter to present an identification may be a good idea, maybe a bad idea. I happen to think it's a good idea, but the, you know, you can argue about whether it's a good idea or not to have three weeks or six weeks of early voting, to have signature qualifications be one thing or another. Those are legitimate questions to argue about. But it's but not Jim Crow, asking Professor. A, Jim Crow? Thanks. Jim Crow? It's Professor, thanks so much. You're the best. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, just finishing up here. Uh, it was great talking to the professor about a different perspective in an Ivy League institution, African-American professor born in the inner city of Chicago, uh, who has a different view, a concerning view on, on racism in America, and he thinks it's uh, uh, way out of control and there's going to be a big backlash. But right now, we're going to be joining Stuart Varney on FBN. We always do this simulcast, so let's listen. Right now, and that means it's time for Brian Kilmeade. Kilmeade, I've got to talk to you about this ridiculous... Not, it's not ridiculous. This reversal. We are now going to investigate and have a look at the Wuhan lab. The only reason we've wasted a year, not gotten to it in a year, is because the media really wanted to say that Trump was totally wrong when he said China was responsible. That's the reason why we've delayed for this whole year. What do you got to say? Well, I mean, I was sharing, we, we share audiences now, but I was looking at your show uh, during one of my breaks, and I saw what Chris Kaliza wrote about a year ago, basically saying Fauci slaps down Donald Trump for bringing up this uh, yeah. theory. Facebook, we know, banned you or iced you out should you post anything about the Wuhan virus coming out of a lab accident, even though the whole thing came from Wuhan. I never heard of a bad virus. Most of Americans didn't. And then you find out two days ago, Jen Psaki says, you don't understand how this works. Investigations are done by the WHO, and they're done by international uh, researchers, not by us. That's not the way it works. Two days later, Jen Psaki's on vacation, and we find out we're going to be looking at it. And I gave it to my intelligence agency. President Biden said they got 90 days to give me a report. How does this happen? It's the Anthony Fauci way of doing things, uh, Stuart Varney, and you could run with this if you want, and it's your option. You know, there's no licensing <laughs> agreement. But it's Anthony Fauci comes out with these statements. Like, for example, it's not going to be a problem here, the pandemic. It was. We don't need to wear masks of full sense of security. We need to wear masks. You need to wipe down all services. Oh, you can't get it from a surface. Uh, kids can't get it. Well, kids have to wear masks. We all know that. He never acknowledges when he's wrong. He just moves on and says, what do you mean I said something else? Now, all of a sudden, we're supposed to pretend as if Anthony Fauci was not having his organization provide grants to the Wuhan lab. Upon further review questioning yesterday, yeah, I was. Were they doing, uh, were they doing some risky research? No. Well, could they do it and I told you? Yes, they could be lying to us. Everything that we asked, we're told we're crazy for bringing up, has turned out to be true. But there's never an acknowledgement that they were never. wrong. Never. There never will be either. Ever. Never. There's something good may come out of this, though. The Republicans are saying, hey, look, China, if you don't come clean, if you're not completely transparent, uh, we will think about putting sanctions on China. And there is a demand that we see, Americans, ordinary Americans, see the intelligence reports which linked the virus with the Wuhan lab. So something's good's going to come out of this, but it will be a major league's confrontation with China. How do you think it's going to go, Brian? Well, first off, uh, foundationally, I think this could be where Democrats and Republicans are together. You know, it happened during the Republican administration. It continues under the Democratic administration. It didn't, didn't start here. And it started in China. Can we agree that China is our number one economic and military foe? The answer is yes. Can we agree that Australia was the first country with the courage to stand up to China? And can we agree that they were left alone and they were forced to pay a price on wine and goods in terms of tariffs? And we did nothing and they ended up producing in the middle of a pandemic a watered-down report? Can we agree that if anyone's going to take on China and unify the world behind us, it is America? And this is an opportunity to stand and have Republicans behind you, not just in infrastructure, which is a possibility now, but around you. You could actually get 
a lot of support among Republicans to stand up to China. And guess what? It's in our best interest because they are comprehensively trying to take us down. They're in our schools. They're in, they're in Washington. They're lobbying. Uh, they are stealing our technology. We have to have a major push to separate. And this could be the go point. We could if we had real leadership in the White House. You have an opportunity, Joe Biden, at the age of 78 years old to finally get it right. Well, Brian, one of these days you'll let us know how you really feel about things. You certainly did today, and uh, we like it. We like it. It got a big, handsome smile on your face, too. Right. Brian, good stuff, and it's serious stuff, and we appreciate you, you being here. You got it. Go get him, Stuart. Thank you. Thank sir. you. And uh, now we split off our back to our own audience, one 866 The other thing that we kind of stumbled into and we talked about about 10 minutes ago is the whole state of the Democratic Party and how America's against it. At the end of my interview with Professor Lowry, he said, I'm not for, uh, I'm not against voter ID. Maybe some are. Seventy-seven percent of you are not against having voter ID. There's nothing racist about it. Do you know that if you go on, for example, a New York state application, I'm sure any state application, they say lost license, new license, or just ID. Click a box. You can get on a computer in any library that are all free in this country. Anybody, most people, even homeless people, a lot of people have iPhones. You click on it, you can get a, a voter ID if you have an address. It doesn't matter if you don't need a car. Inner city, uh, if you're in the city, a lot of times you don't need a car. So that, along with... Our, one of the questions asked on a Fox News poll was, do you believe that Joe Biden is putting forward uh, spending programs to help the country or help his party? And are you too liberal? 46% said too liberal. The rest are in the 20s in those responses. So that is key. I believe that the Democrats are slowly but surely alienating America, and they're doing it in a way that's divorce of, of politics. For example, when President Bush comes out uh, in, in 2001 and says, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman, and I don't think gay marriage should be happening, and you made a division there, it's a philosophy, it's a cultural thing. But when someone tells you, don't put your kid in school, make sure your kid has a mask, make sure your family can't go to sporting events or go home from sporting events, make sure I own a restaurant and I'm being fined $1,000 a day because my my uh, prep cook dropped his or her mask below their chin because they were sweating to death. I didn't mention Republican or Democrat, did I? But I will tell you, everything I described was happening in blue states, not red states. Under governors, they let you live your life, not telling you how to live your life, and hit you with restrictions and fines. So there was a chance for both philosophies to work. I would argue that it's Republicans had their philosophies work because they, they, they were based on freedom and they were based on liberty. All true. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. 
Uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show will feature Congressman Mike Gallagher leading the charge on this Wuhan, uh, this Wuhan lab accident theory and why we have taken so long to get to the bottom of it. Mike Gallagher will be here uh, in a matter of moments. Also, the latest on the Middle East, why so many Democrats seem to be leaning towards the Palestinian movement, making a lot of people worried. Because if you look at the American people, they are for the Israelis not responding to the rocket attacks that we're all witnessing now. Also, bad news, if you do not want the Taliban to take over Afghanistan and thought it was a bad move for us to leave Afghanistan like I did already, they are going up to these small towns and saying to the Afghan governments, either come out now, surrender, or die. They're going to take over this country without a shot, even before we leave at this rate. Then we're going to be joined by Patrick O'Donnell. As you know, we're a couple of days away from Memorial Day and some of the great men and women who fought for this country. He talks about, he's got a brand new book, The Indispensable, The Diverse Soldier Mariners Who Shaped the Country, Formed the Navy, and Rode Washington Across the Delaware. It is awesome. And then Arthur Lee. Arthur Lee, you know, my uh, friend from grammar, from uh, high school, played soccer with forever, invented the life vac. We have video of this device and how a mom used it to save her child. I put it on Twitter, you know, since some of these, uh, all the cameras that people have in their homes, you were able to see it, how the Heimlich did not work, pounding the back wasn't effective, but light back did it. If you have a baby shower you're going to and you don't buy this or don't buy it for your own house, you're crazy. But you'll uh, talk to Arthur shortly. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. I don't think you're telling the truth. The gift that keeps on giving, the Hunter laptop. We're getting more more details about dinners that took place with international business people of dicey characters. Hunter Biden set it up, and then sitting Vice President Joe Biden went in there to close the deal. What exactly happened? How long can President Biden duck this story? Number two. Like, if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right, or use the word wrong verb, or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself. Because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. That's not activism. 2019, former President Barack Obama pointing out what we all know. Cancel culture is killing the country, and it's killing the Democratic Party. So is wokeism. Republicans are right. The moderate left knows their radical left are wrong and could cost them the government. Yes, wokeness and cancel culture facing such widespread backlash along the so-called moderate Joe's radical spending. You put those two together and the Democrats are in for a big beating come 2022 if this continues. The question is, what kind of country will be left? Number one. We've gotten this question about the origins and and uh, and we've been pretty vocal, right? This administration, we, have, we didn't have access. You know, China wasn't transparent enough. Uh, we have been saying that for a very long time, that China needed to provide more access to the lab. Oh, are you kidding? Corinne Jean-Pierre filling in for Jen Psaki. Now you care. For months, I've been pounding on the door, demanding answers on the origin of the pandemic. In a matter of 48 hours, the administration changes course. And joining us now discussing Congressman Mike Gallagher. Uh, he's a uh, he's a armed services committee member, served for seven years of active duty on counter intel, human intelligence officer, and regional affairs officer for the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, left as a captain. Congressman, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. Congressman, first off, uh, can you believe this change 
Uh, now, all of a sudden, President Biden made it clear you got 90 days intelligence services to come back with what happened in China uh, with this pandemic that blindsided us a year ago. Well, you think where we were a year ago, where you had then candidate Biden, uh, every member of the mainstream media, every member of the Democratic establishment calling Tom Cotton, calling me, calling anyone else, I'm sure calling you, who had the temerity to suggest we should trust the Chinese Communist Party, we should look into the lab with hypothesis, calling us all xenophobes, calling us all de facto racist, and now they're having a change of heart. Listen, I, I welcome the fact that they're going to direct our intelligence assets at getting to the bottom of this, but I don't want it to be a cover for them to not provide Congress with declassified intelligence. We also should have unclassified documents that really tease out the funding stream, the paper trail that will show how U.S. taxpayer dollars went through Fauci's organization, went through the Defense Department, through third-party groups like the Eagle Health Alliance that funded this dangerous gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We need complete transparency. If for no other reason, then we want to prevent a pandemic like this from ever happening again. And until we understand how this one happened, we're, we're going to be behind the April. What I understand is this is one thing we should unite. I'm not talking about uh, anything controversial about the infrastructure deal, which you guys disagree with Democrats on, obviously. Listen to Jen Psaki two days ago. He talks all the time about how he's known President Xi for a long time. So why can't he just call and, and we need and them. I think you're misunderstanding how this process actually works. An international investigation led by the World Health Organization is something that we've actually been pressing for for several months in coordination with a range of partners around the world. We need that data. We need that information from the Chinese government. What we can't do, and what I would caution anyone doing, is leaping ahead of an actual international process. We don't have enough data and information to jump to a conclusion at this point in time. And then yesterday, he orders the U.S. intelligence to dig deeper into the origin of the virus and give him a report in 90 days. What happened behind the scenes? Well, there's some pressure building up. Um, you know, I, I've called for, I introduced a bill to declassify the intel uh, with Josh Hawley. Senator Marshall introduced the bill uh, to create a commission to investigate it. There was a test each exchange in the Senate between Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci, where I believe Fauci was not being forthcoming. So, you know, and then you have the dam breaking within the scientific community. Even scientists that were on the so-called Lance letter. This was organized by Peter Daszak, who is the guy kind of behind all the misinformation. Three of the scientists that signed that letter saying, you know, it emerged naturally, don't look at the lab, have now said, oh, actually, we have to investigate the lab, even Dr. Fauci reverse course. So I think it became too big for them to ignore. But Saki, the, the idea that we're going to push the WHO to do a more transparent investigation in the future is a fool's errand, because the WHO, I hate to say it, Brian, has been corrupted by the Chinese Communist Party, they're not going to do it. We got to lead it in concert with our closest allies like Australia, who you'll remember has faced withering economic sanctions from the Chinese Communist Party because they called for an investigation into this about a year ago. So we got we got to lead the charge here. So I want everyone to hear with Senator Kennedy just questioned Anthony Fauci never gets a follow up question from the softball interviews he gives on everybody's podcast and interview. Listen to this. Cut six. You didn't give any money to the Wuhan lab to conduct gain-of-function research. Is that right? That is correct. How do you know they didn't lie to you? Excuse me, sir? How do you know they didn't lie to you and use the money for gain-of-function research anyway? Well, we've seen the results of the experiments that were done and that were published and that 
the viruses that they um, uh, studied are on public databases now. So none of that was gain of function. So How, how do you know they didn't do the research and uh, not put it on their website? There's no way of guaranteeing that. I mean, this guy thinks we're idiots. He gave him $600,000, maybe more, $600 million, uh, $600,000, rather, uh, over the course of a few years. But, the, you know, there's millions of others could have been uh, put there by Americans. And the, he doesn't think that it's plausible that the Chinese are lying? Well, it's simply not true. I think he's lying, Brian. I, I hate to say it. He's either lying or hiding behind a, a highly legalistic definition of gain of function. The, the fact is we know money from NIAID, Fauci's organization, to the EcoHealth Alliance, notably not submitted to the Oversight Board NIH had established to review such research. We know that the EcoHealth Alliance was working with the Wuhan Institute. Dazic published with she, the bat lady, academic papers talking about gain-of-function research. I just don't know what definition he's using to hide behind here. Anytime you're taking naturally occurring coronaviruses, you're doing experiments to make them more pathogenic, more infectious. That's gain-of-function research, and that's what we know what's happening at the Wuhan Institute. So Fauci is not being forthcoming here. It's astounding to me that he's getting away with it. I, I, I can't believe anybody would put him on the air and ask him some of these inane questions of, you know, is it all right for me to go to the beach or go to a restaurant? Uh, but they still will. I don't know if they could do it now. But I don't know if he's going to cut back his appearances. But listen to what he said a couple of days ago. Listen to this. We uh, had a big scare with SARS-CoV-1 back in 2002-2003, where that particular virus unquestionably went from a bat to an intermediate host. It would have been almost a, a dereliction of our duty if we didn't study this. And the only way you can study these things is you've got to go where the action is. So we had a modest collaboration with very respectable Chinese uh, uh, scientists. A modest collaboration with respectable Chinese scientists, Wuhan lab, right? Mike, well, we know, thanks to the information the Trump administration declassified on January 15th, Two years prior to the pandemic, U.S. officials went to the Wuhan Institute and flagged massive security concerns. So when Fauci calls this a respectable organization or when the footnote in the WHO report, which exists, talks about the high safety standards at the Wuhan Institute, it's just a bunch of, you know, what Joe Biden would call malarkey. I mean, it, it, it really is. I, I just I, this this is not a supportable position. Fauci needs to commit to full transparency. And it's not just Fauci, Brian. I say I've discovered funding streams from DHS that paid for a network of experts to combat disinformation in a pandemic. And these were the same experts telling us not to look at the lab. There's a, about a $30 million funding stream through the Defense Department with DARPA. This goes well beyond Fauci, and I think our intelligence community as well, in an unclassified statement they released in April of last year, just parroted the so-called scientific consensus and, and, and thrown through cold water on the lab leak theory. It implicates a lot of different federal government organizations, mm -hmm. and we got to get to the bottom of it. Congressman, one of your committees is transportation infrastructure. About two hours ago, or a few hours ago, the, uh, the Senator, Senate Republicans announced that their counterproposal to the president from his $1.4 trillion counterproposal was $938 billion without any uh, rise in taxes. Did you have a chance to look at this? Do you feel as though this negotiation is real? 
I haven't looked at the Republican cap proposal, the latest one from the Senate. I just would say, I mean, beyond the overall amount of money, in my mind, the real exchange that needs to happen is regulatory reform in return for an investment in infrastructure. But differently, it's not, you know, if we just funnel, you know, a billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars or two trillion dollars through the existing system where America has higher cost infrastructure than the rest of the developed world, where our projects take longer, we're not actually going to get the results we need in infrastructure. We need to do regulatory reform. The Trump administration laid out a roadmap for that. There's some sensible things we can do to fix the process through which we build infrastructure, not just throw a bunch of money at the problem. And that's what I would like to see in our counterproposal. Absolutely. they got to make sure before you get $1, you have to show me how you're going to execute that tunnel, that bridge, uh, that subway. But uh, lastly, as somebody who is who has, with this rich military background you have, how concerned are you that the Taliban are going to take over Afghanistan even before the summer's out? Extraordinarily concerned. Here's the other thing that we're realizing, Brian, is if the whole idea of getting out was to save money so we could focus on China, well, that's not going to happen because what this is going to do, withdrawing to an overwatch position, is going to stress the United States Navy more. We're already having to divert a carrier to deal with the withdrawal. And so all the Navy assets that you need in Indo-PACOM to deter China are now going to be tied up dealing with Afghanistan as we enter a summer in which the Chinese Communist Party is celebrating its 100th anniversary, and she is increasingly calculating that now might be the time to make a move on Taiwan. So I actually think this thing falls on its own terms of freeing up assets for a more important theater, and that's a poorly understood connection right now. Absolutely. The great point. Uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher, thanks so much. Keep fighting. Thank you, sir. You got it. Uh, when we come back, your call is 1-866-408-7669. And then with Memorial Day straight ahead, Patrick O'Donnell joins us, very esteemed military historian, talks about how this country was founded, the indispensables, the diverse soldier mariners who shaped the country, formed the Navy, and rode George Washington across the Delaware. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's a lot of talk about Fauci and the NIH and that contract to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What listeners have to understand is that that's one tiny fraction of the U.S. taxpayer dollars that were going to the, these Wuhan labs, not just the, this lab, a whole bunch of labs. And that came through USAID, the National Science Foundation, the Defense Department, uh, the Homeland Security Department, the intelligence community, and many other agencies. So when Fauci gives his very lawyerly denial, this particular contract didn't fund this research, that's true or accurate on its face, but it's misleading because it obscures the bigger picture, which is that we had lots and lots of collaborations with these Wuhan labs on this risky virus research, and it doesn't matter if Fauci calls it gain-of-function or says it's not gain-of-function. It was right. risky, and we didn't keep an eye on it, and if that's how the pandemic broke out, then Fauci's going to have to answer a lot of tough questions, no matter what he called it.
Uh, I agree 100%. And why wouldn't he just answer the questions? If you explained that nine months ago and say, yeah, I had to do this. The SARS virus came over. I was worried about MERS. And this is and this is what I did. That would have been okay. And, you know, we gave some money over there. But that's something that was approved by the Defense Department, the Pentagon. You heard Homeland Security. Then that's fine. Then all of a sudden we can debate it. But instead, Trump looks like a lunatic. Uh, Mike Pompeo looks like he's a conspiracy, uh, conspira- conspiring to undermine Dr. Fauci, who for some reason is the most beloved figure in America. It's nuts. He goes on. Cut nine. What Joe Biden can do. People care about getting to the bottom of the crisis so that we can prevent the next one. And I think if the Biden administration decided, which it has not yet decided to do, to to actually lead that effort and not palm it off to the WHO, which Biden people privately admit to me they know is going to be a dead end. They know it's 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 a fool's errand because the WHO is not set up for that. It's not because they're not nice people. It's because they don't have the power to do it. But we do. And if the Biden administration would lead, if America would lead, I assure you the rest of the world would follow. Yes. Believe me, if Joe Biden is that friendly with our European allies, if we really have the Abraham Accords have given of Middle East allies, Australia is as loyal to us as the day is long, New Zealand, all these other countries, Japan, uh, all those countries in the area, South Korea, Singapore, Vietnam, they hate China. Just stand up and go, guys, you're not being honest with us. We're not trading with you until that happens. Oh, you got our manufacturing here? You guys got 90 days to pull it out and bring it to Central America. It'll be the perfect storm of success. Central Americans will have jobs. Americans have close to be closer to their products and have friendlier governments to deal with who could actually make a positive impact on, on our southern border. How about that for a move? The best in history, Patrick O'Donnell joins us with a great story of America's past. Now, not everybody wants to apologize for America's past. I certainly don't. Patrick O'Donnell with his brand new book. In just a moment, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's time to rediscover our past and not apologize for it. That's why Patrick O'Donnell is the perfect guest, a best-selling, critically acclaimed military historian, loves the Revolutionary War period, proof in, uh, uh, proof in concept, a brand-new book. It's called The Indispensables, The Diverse Soldiers, Soldier Mariners Who Shaped the Country, Formed the Navy, and Rode Washington Across the Delaware. Patrick, welcome. Great. Great to be on with you, Brian. Indeed, I love our country's past, and uh, I share the same passion you do for our history. Right, and and what you've done, even writing about today, is being a consultant with Band of Brothers, writing about Battle of Fallujah, and then looking back at our past, which is still retrievable, to go to the exact same places which it happened and try to bring something new to it. So people focus on Washington. People focus on the Battle of New York or or Brooklyn, whatever you want to call it. People focus on Bunker Hill. You focused on the people. What was what was consistent with all those things? 
the consistent thing is human agency and how a small group of individuals or, or a single individual can change or shape history. And that's certainly the case with the Indispensables, which saved Washington's army multiple times. Uh, you know, you mentioned Long Island. It was here that we were suffering a crushing defeat by the British, one of the largest battles of the American Revolutionary War. And we were trapped with our backs against the East River. Somebody had to bring us across, and it was the men from Marblehead. And that is an incredible story, Brian. I mean, the, the river, the tide, the currents, none of it was working for us that night on August 29th. And they get in the boats, small little tiny boats like an American Dunkirk, and they have to bring us across. And, you know, a number of things occur. The, the operation was failing. They tried to reach Washington that night. They couldn't find him to call off the operation. Luckily, a loyalist tried to to inform the British about the retreat or the evacuation. That failed. Um, and it all fell on the shoulders of the Marblehead and men in the Indispensables. They brought them across the river 11 times, crossing to bring a 10,000 man, nearly 10,000 men from the army across, but there, there still wasn't time. And as dawn was coming up, this is in really a remarkable scene. Uh, you know, there was panic near where the uh, evacuation area was, and Washington himself was there. He was one of the last to leave. And he, um, you know, a man of great strength, he put a, a boulder above his head and said, I'll sink the boat to hell if you don't, you know, there's no order, and they, they, they had order. But what's really remarkable is a fog sets in at this point exactly at the right time and then screens the movement of the Army as it's crossing the East River, which is a mile long, and the Army is saved by the Marbleheaders. This, one, this is just one little tiny example of how these men were in the inflection point of history. How did they get how did they get, the revolution? Right, it was pretty amazing. A, a fog rolled in where um, one of the officers— uh, one of the officers assigned to Washington says you could not see your hand in front of your face. That's how thick it was. So it gave him a chance to evacuate. Exactly. The British moved so slow, giving him a chance to go through Manhattan and get out and fight another day. Um, and it looks like Washington was always looking for approval from uh, from his government, you know, before he would do anything from what was left of his government because he didn't want to be criticized even back then. But uh, unfortunately, uh, after the success we've had at Bunker Hill, we were, I guess, full of ourselves a little bit and got caught relatively by surprise. And also the British wanted to finish us off there. But tell me about the marble, uh, these Marbleheads. Where do they get that name from? It comes from Marblehead, Massachusetts, which is located about 16 miles north of Boston. And in, in the 17th century, it was the second largest town in Massachusetts. It, it, was the, it was the engine of the Massachusetts economy, which was based on cod fishing, and fortunes were made on it. Some of the richest men in America were from Marblehead, and they financed the early revolution, but they also brought in a crucial supply. America did not have gunpowder at the early stages of the war. There was no organic production. Plus, the Crown actively banned it. They were actively trying to confiscate it uh, because they knew that this was our Achilles heel. But it was the Marblehead men that brought in the powder at Lexington and Concord, for instance, and all the early war. It came from the contacts that they had where they turned their trading relationships into supply lines. And it was our first our first alliance comes from Spain, where the men of the Marblehead Regiment and the Elbridge Gary, for instance, and other uh, other men that are in this book, founding fathers that are kind of forgotten, um, form an alliance with Spain and they they bring in the powder, which is absolutely crucial. From I mean, British disarmament as as they continue to try to disarm us in the early operations. So as we talk about uh, crossing the Delaware, how important that was, and how adverse the conditions were. 
What about the Marblehead uh, crew that helped Washington get across? It was the Marbleheaders that brought Washington across. This is the darkest days in American history, arguably. The November, December, the country was falling apart. We had one defeat after another after the Battle of Long Island, Battle of Fort Washington, White Plains, etc. And the political mood, the zeitgeist in the country was changing to defeat and basically appeasement to the British. People were signing oaths of allegiance. Um, and Washington knew the game was nearly up, as he wrote to one of his relatives, and the enlistments were expiring. So he had to a bo- to do a bold strike, and that is at Trenton. And what's important here is it's in the middle of a nor'easter. The the water in the Delaware is raging. There's ice, etc. Nothing is working. Only the Marbleheaders bring the army across. All of the other attempts, there's three others, fail that night. That night, that, that Christmas night, they all fail. It's only the Marbleheaders that are able to bring the army across. But they also do something really important too. They cut off. The uh, Johann Rolf, the commander of the Hessian uh, garrison at Trenton's only escape route. It's the most crucial land in North America at the time. It's the Assunpeak Creek Bridge. They seize it. They put some cannon on the high ground. And instead of a, a defeat for the Hessian forces, it's a double envelopment and a catastrophic loss, which changes the course of history. And the whole political mood of the country changes. And even our view of, of America worldwide changes. All of a sudden, yeah. And you got to figure, too, as you know, and talking Patrick O'Donnell about his brand-new book, The Indispensables, the rest of the world is looking to see, hey, wait a second, can these guys win? And if they didn't pull around and get these victory, the French don't even consider coming in. Without the French, we don't win. So they needed this victory for morale and everything else. Also, we did not go for retribution. We didn't torture the Hessians. We treated them with uh, which are now rules of war, right, with respect. So we didn't alienate them, who were mercenaries. Americans' values are formed during the revolution, and it's a revolution that changes the world. This is a, you know, this is the greatest generation, arguably, because the ideals of the founding generation, and it's against all odds, Brian, as you know, it's against Americans. We have a civil war. It's against the greatest army at the world at the time, the British Army and the Navy. But there's also another twist in my book that I bring out for the first time. It's about a virus. It's about a virus that rages first in Marblehead, and it's the virus that splits the town politically. Does that sound familiar? And between loyalists and patriots, and they come up with a unique solution to try to inoculate the, the residents there, and uh, but that doesn't work. It, their houses are surrounded. The main character of my book is canceled, literally. After the Battle of Lexington and Concord, he treated British soldiers. They thought he was a loyalist, and they surrounded his house and threatened to execute him. He goes under court-martial and, and proves that he that was wrong. But instead of staying out of the revolution, he stays in and fights as the company commander surgeon in the Indispensables, the whole war. And what's interesting is Washington calls upon him to save the army by inoculating it, considered one of the greatest decisions in Washington's military career, and it saves the Army. They're able to fight on, but Nathaniel Bond, the main character of my book, dies as a result, and he dies in obscurity until I wrote The Indispensables. Nice. Uh, You also talk about his group being diverse, white, black, Hispanic, and Native Americans. That made up this Army 170 years ago, right? It did, and I think that's one thing that's forgotten. It's 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 a, it, they, it's sometimes suppressed, but it's not only was their diversity their strength. This is a group of uh, free African Americans. There's Native Americans in the group. There's even Hispanics uh, that all 
are a great team together. Uh, they they form this this uh, incredible bond of trust in the Grand Banks, where they are fishermen, where the, the the high seas take many lives. But they're able to work together as a team, which translates later in, on the battlefield. And it's not necessarily the diversity that's their greatest strength, but their unity as a team together. And that's, I think that's one of the, the, the true, uh, they, it makes them one of the greatest American uh, units in, that ever fought under American arms. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, so, Patrick, as you go look this and uh, looking at this story and bringing things uh, to the fray, are you almost offended and alarmed as I am about this revisionist history of our history? From 1619 instead of 1776, America never that great, uh, which Governor Cuomo said famously. What do you think? I know we're never perfect, but I thought we agreed as Americans we were great. Does it alarm you? I am exceptionally alarmed at the conditions in our country today. Uh, the revision in our history, our soul, the soul of our country is at stake right now. And um, with the indispensables, I didn't have an agenda. I just let the story and the voices of the men and women, which are in the book, tell the story themselves in their own words. And our story and our history is exceptional. It's extraordinary. We changed the world. It's American values that are formed during the American Revolution. And I think in this digital age, it's, it's, it's potent, the potential for it being lost or canceled, it can happen in an instant. And people need to be vigilant. People, do you feel a special responsibility to get that word out and push back on it? What I like to do is just let the voices of those who were there tell the story. This book has over a thousand endnotes. It's all from primary sources, mainly, um, and I—it's a narrative history. It's—it's novel-like, but it's—but it tells the story of what happened, and what people are. Why it's resonating today is people are want to embrace uh, America's past. They want to know about our founding because they see how, in today's society, things are failing. They want to—they're going back. To our origins. It's our origin story, which is our most important story, and they're seeing who we are as Americans, and that's why it's so crucial. Absolutely. I want you to hear this cut from this movie and tell me your role. Sir, when I landed on D-Day, I found myself in a ditch all by myself. I fell asleep. When I woke up, I didn't really try to find my unit. Fight. I just kind of stayed put. What's your name, Trooper? Blasher. You know why you hid in that ditch, Blythe? I was scared. We're all scared. You hid in that ditch because you think there's still hope. But Blythe, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier's supposed to function. Without mercy, without compassion, without remorse. All war depends upon it. Band of Brothers, uh, that was the series, uh, the, the, the miniseries. Oh. What, what yeah. did you bring to, what did you try to bring to this, to this series? I played a minor role, but I was I was their archival consultant. I would I searched the National Archives for the original um, reports that the Easy Company wrote during the during the uh, during World War II. But I was also a uniform consultant on a lot. I, I had um, has still have a, a large fairly large collection of airborne items, etc. So it was all it was sort of the technical details of a lot of things that I was in, involved in with the series. It was the with specifically funneling those details and that data to the writers. And that's, that's what is, makes Band of Brothers so exceptional is the writing of that, 
is is very close is as close as you can get pretty much to what really happened uh and it's it's about the details uh that's something that um it, it translates in all my books and they're they're very detailed but they're very readable at the same time Nice. Congratulations on this, Patrick. Keep fighting. And on this Memorial Day, I know you don't have to think hard to remember everyone that fought and, and continues to write this incredible uh, success story with this is the United States of America. Pick up the indispensable, the diverse soldier mariners who shaped the country, formed the Navy, rode Washington across the Delaware. Patrick, thank you. Thank you, Brian. It was really an honor to be on your show and love to do it again. Yeah, we absolutely will, uh, especially coming up with July 4th, too. Uh, when we come back, um, Arthur Lee will join us to talk about what's happening with LifeVac. And I say this because this is a news story. So many kids, uh, one out of every five kids uh, who, who will die, one, they will die from choking. And he invented something that's stopping that, and we're seeing it now on video. So he's going to be joining us next. Real quick, I just want to diverse, I do want to clarify one thing I said. It took 170 years for our Army to diversify the way it was in Patrick's book. However, uh, we've been around for almost 250 years. Back in a moment. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Um, 1-866-408-7669. Special thanks to uh, Patrick O'Donnell for really making this show better. I love guys that... Uh, and women who would authors go back in time and, and get the documents because a lot of it's written down about what happened all those years ago to bring into perspective how unfathomable this victory in the Revolutionary War was. Uh, now it's time to bring in Arthur Lee, founder and CEO of LifeVac. You've heard me advertise this on the show, but that's not why he's on. The more I hear about LifeVac, the more I give it as a gift, the more people say thank you. And now I'm in a situation where a lot of my nieces and nephews are getting married and having kids. And that's where we're getting them. And then Arthur was able to show me this video that we finally see with all these baby cams and all these surveillance cameras. Uh, you, get to, you get to see a lot of dramatic things in people's households, including a young child choking. Arthur Lee, founder and CEO of LifeVac, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks, buddy. Hey, you showed me this video, and then we are able to zoom in on it. And I was able to put it up on Twitter. I cannot have can't tell you how many people have asked me about if it's real. Can you tell everyone what you saw? what we both saw and why we're getting so many views? Well, you know, we got on my little TikTok, I got over 4 million. Uh, basically, it was like you said, you know, we have these cams now and it was a mother and the child started choking. She did the back slaps and, you know, hit the kid and uh, wasn't able to clear it. And she got, thank God, she had a light back and she one pull popped it out and you see her hold her child. I mean, you heard about this. Is this the first time you saw it on video? We had a video from a, a security uh, camera up in Ikea, but the guy was off camera when he grabs it and he runs over, but you couldn't see it. On this one, you actually see her place the light back, push it, and pull it. And her son is so cute. He's holding the phone to call 911 because there's no audio, but she's saying 911, and the little boy was trying to help. But... uh we had a miracle instead of a tragedy. Right. I mean, it, it looks like a dramatic rea uh, uh, reaction, uh, uh, recreation, rather. So you, you've mailed these around the globe. You've given them to fire departments. You give it to families. How, what has the reaction been over the last few years? 
Well, you know, we, it's, you know, a tell to friend situation a lot too. And, and as you see now, we, we had uh, five saves in seven days. We've had three saves in a day. I mean, in the U.S., about 18 people a day die. So we're making a dent, but we still got a long way to go. But as they get out there, more and more. Look, Brian, you saved the life. That little girl, she said, I saw Brian kill me. And that was a Mother's Day miracle because of you. Well, you were on uh, Fox and Friends talking about new inventions. Uh, no one taught you how to do this. You didn't go to engineering school. You used some logic. It's almost a plunger technology. You worked on it, got all the approvals. And now it's been out for the last five years. And just picture this if you haven't seen it at home. If you have a young kid or an older, anybody in your house that's choking, it's ever happened to you a near scare. You put it over somebody's face. You place, you push, and you pull, and it's out. So people have said that, and people say, well, you know, I don't have to worry about it. If someone's choking your house and you gave that to somebody and they save a life, or if you have it and it saves your child's life or your se- the senior in your house or somebody in your house of any age, you'll never be forgotten. Arthur, final thought? I just I look at the little child you saved, and I'm very blessed for what you've done for me, and I, I appreciate it. No, it's, you did it all. Uh, go to Lifeback, lifeback.net. And by the way, uh, for our local affiliate WABC, if you put that in, you get uh, 10% off. Thanks, Arthur. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.